Spirit of God, in the proclamation of your word, reveal to us the hidden mystery of your love in Christ and your strength in our faith that we may approach you with boldness. Amen. And then the reading from Psalms 33, 11 through 22. The counsel of the just one stands for all time, the thoughts of her heart to all generations. Happy is the nation to whom the creator of all is their God, the people whom she has chosen as her heritage. From the heavens the Most High looks down, and she sees all the woman born. From her eternal throne she gazes upon all who dwell upon the earth. She who fashions their hearts alike is the one who discerns all their doings. A monarch is not saved by a great army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. False hope is a horse for salvation, and its great might cannot save. Look, the eye of the faithful one is one in, is on those who revere her, on those who hope in her faithful love, to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for she who saves. She is our help and shield. In her is our heart glad because we trust in her holy name. Let your faithful love, compassionate God, be upon us, for it is you in whom we trust. This is the word of the Lord. You were paying attention to both the screen and to Emily's wonderful reading. You noticed a difference, probably some pretty significant differences. And uh, while that was not on purpose, I actually think it was, it was really neat to get to see uh, some of the, the ways that Dr. Gaffney has, has um, translated the text differently than we are used to reading it. Um, but she is a, a biblical, a Hebrew scholar, and so we, we must be willing to trust that it is her translation is, in fact, a translation of the text, and it is a valid one. Um, so, Emily, thank you for, uh, for reading that for us and doing such a good job of it. I imagine that I'm going to have the same problem in this Ephesians reading. Um, it says translated by Reverend Dr. Willie Gaffney, but I bet it's not going to be. Let's see. <clears throat> for this reason am I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard of the commission to disseminate God's grace that was given to me for you all. Through Revelation was the mystery made known to me, as I wrote briefly. Moreover, reading this, you all will be able to comprehend my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, the mystery was not made known to the woman born, as it has now been revealed to the folks who are God's holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is... The Gentiles have become co-inheritors, are of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Friends, holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. I had a friend in seminary who was always widening the welcome, and it really bothered people. I imagine some of you will recognize this scenario. You and your crew have planned a night out and you're getting ready, you're singing your hype songs in the shower or whatever you do to get ready for a night out with your people. 
And then you pick up your phone and you see a text that says, hey, just wanted y'all to know I invited so-and-so to join us tonight. Hope you're okay with that. See you in a little bit. Hope you're okay with that. Really? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say, that I'm not okay with it? I'm not, but I'm not going to say that and sound like a jerk. Every time my friend would invite people on the fringes or people even squarely outside of the group to join in until eventually, one day, she herself stopped getting invited to nights out with the crew. Now, at the time, my friend genuinely did not understand it because she is an uncommonly good person, but I am a commonly shallow person, and so I totally get it. Sometimes you just need your crew to be your crew only, right? This is why animals, human and otherwise, form packs. And those packs never include every single existing animal in the species. Some are in and some are out. That's basically a law of nature. And attempts to break such laws will almost always be met with resistance. And that's not a bad thing. We can feel in our bodies that we cannot love and care about and empathize with everyone all the time, all the time, all the time, right? It starts to feel overwhelming. It's too great of a burden for humans to bear. I know that might sound callous, but I imagine that if we were forced to answer the question, most of us would say, yeah, I think that's probably true. There is such a thing as compassion fatigue. Introverts really do exist. So I want to be loud and clear at the beginning tonight saying that this is not a sermon about how you personally need to love, support, defend, and empathize with everyone, everywhere, all of the time. It's a sermon about the fact that we don't. We probably can't. We certainly shouldn't be expected to. And how that very human reality renders the boundless compassion of God, at least to us, a great mystery. Paul writes in Ephesians of what he calls the mystery of the gospel, and, and he explains that what he means by that is that Gentiles, which is a word that for Jews means everyone who's not one of us, Gentiles are included in the promise that God made to us, that God made to our people. God didn't make that promise to those people. God made that promise to us. But one night, God sends word to the world. Hey, just wanted y'all to know I've widened the welcome to include the Gentiles. Hope that's good news to you. See you in a little bit. I don't care what anyone says. That's a hard word to receive. Because this particular crew has at least 1,500 years or so of history with this particular God. But for Paul, at least in this moment, it is good news. It's gospel. He didn't think so at first. It wasn't like he immediately recognized that as being good news. He didn't reason his way to the acceptance of this not my people suddenly becoming my people. No, Paul makes clear in this letter that it is by revelation, he says. It's by revelation that this mysterious gospel is made known to him, which is to say Christ allowed him, or allows him, or maybe more accurately, Christ compels him to see the world differently. 
to see that whether we feel it or understand it or like it or not, we're all in this life together. We're all sharers in the one body. We're all creatures bound together in and enlivened by the one spirit which hovered over the waters at the creation of the whole cosmos. It is a revelation to Paul, but it's not a revelation about he or about how we ought to be behaving. It's a revelation about God. God welcomes the Gentiles into the covenant relationship. It makes no difference what the high priest says. And we have to be very clear and very careful here to say unequivocally that resistance to God's wide welcome is not a Jewish problem that Christians come and fix. It often gets preached that way. We've got to resist that as the anti-Semitic trope that it is. No, this is a human limitation which clouds our ability to see and to know God and which, in spite of Christ, continues right on into the Christian church. In Christ, God loves, God cares about, God defends, God empathizes with everyone, everywhere, all the time. And the whole world, church included, struggles with the implications of such an unfathomable, impossible, overwhelming standard. We struggle with it. That is our faithfulness. Not that we have mastered it. Christ welcomed women into the pulpit. It made no difference what the church bylaws said. Christ welcomes mutually loving partnerships of all makes and models into the covenant of marriage. Christ welcomes children into the heavenly banquet table. It makes no difference what the systematic theologians say. It doesn't even make a difference what the, uh, whether any of the outsiders who are in question actually desire to come in because the gospel is not about how people feel the gospel is about how God acts. And God in Christ acts to infinitely widen the welcome, more so even than my uncommonly good friend in seminary. Now, if all of that impassioned theologizing isn't about us, isn't about attempting to direct our actions as individuals or as a community, and, and I want to reiterate it is not, this is about God, and it is about God's actions, then you may be wondering, and you would be right to do so, what is the point of this sermon for us? And the point that I hope to get across, at least, is simply to place before our eyes once more the great mystery of the gospel, God's unfathomable love for even those people whom we are certain don't deserve it trusting that the revelation of such wondrous love is itself transformative. That when we see a person first and foremost as beloved of God at a minimum, we will find it impossible to demonize or dehumanize them as this world has taught us to do and so ourselves become a little bit more human. How different would the world be if just that minimum was met? Just that we not demonize and dehumanize one another. We don't have to welcome everybody into our inner circle. 
We don't have to act excited to hang out with that person who really sucks the joy out of our day. Just open our eyes to the reality of Christ in them. Resist the urge to explain Christ's presence away. Resist the urge to justify Christ's presence. That is work that you and I do not need to do. But just see Christ and wonder. What if the defining mark of the church of Christ was not its doctrinal statements, was not its piety, but was its vision? The church is the gathering of people who are committed to seeing Christ in everyone and everything without, uh, without exception, without explanation. Now, that's not a license to do harm free of social consequences. It's not a, uh, a reason to ignore harm done to ourselves or to others. It's not a mandate for everyone to be friends with everyone else or to say yes to every invitation and request that is made of us. It's just a strange new way of seeing the world that over time inevitably transforms our way of being in the world. Until one day, somewhat mysteriously, we find ourselves almost by accident participating in the great mysterious kingdom of God. Perhaps alongside someone we never in a million years imagined as a person who was on our team. I wish with all my heart that at the end of this sermon I had something really inspiring to say about my friend who persisted in widening, widening the welcome in seminary and lost friends over it. Um, but the truth is I don't. I, there is not that I saw or experienced a particularly redemptive end to that story. What was good news to Paul that the Gentiles are co-inheritors of one body, sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus. What, what was seen as faithful and good by this one lone seminarian is, quite frankly, not appreciated by most of the world around us. Natural law, remember, it's almost a law of nature that some are in and some are out. Natural law is a better debater than the mystery of the gospel. And so more often than not, the some are in and some are out mentality wins. yes even in the church. Yes, even among its aspiring and practicing clergy. I'm sure many of us have experienced this ourselves. Christ himself is betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends, mocked and condemned by his people, and knowingly, unjustly executed by the arbiters of law and order in his society. Because to live persistently against the harshness of the world is not an easy call even though it may seem at first or on the surface to be all innocent and fluffy and nice and lovey-dovey. In fact, it is the cross, the great mystery of Christian faith. Let us not be tempted to reason about whether or when it is prudent to follow in Christ's footsteps, for we will certainly conclude that it is not. And we would be right. Instead, let us simply gaze into the great and terrible mystery and wonder. 
What if the compassion of God had stopped short? Thanks be to God, whose love endures forever.